previously on Reading in Church and Other Distractions. And that is the, the phrase that uh, quiet man could also be hmm. civilized man, okay. learned man, yeah. rounded man. So, I mean, Jacob is the one who's, he's the grown-up, and Esau is okay. the wild person. And the next okay. verse, Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, literally says because he brings him food in his mouth. In it's his mouth. In his mouth. So <laughs> there's no no which the antecedents Sounds here like is. A dog. Exactly. So either I'm most translations. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? He's a good boy. Harry. <laughs> this most translations go with the he brought him food in his mouth was Esau gave Isaac food. That's what most people translate it as. But you could literally Fetch. see him bringing home food in his mouth. Hunter. Running from the wilderness <laughs> here. mallard so, in his mouth. Exactly. So it really is this picture of, wow. of the wild person. That is really from, nice. From the woods. So that always, I'd love the But well, it reminds me of John the Baptist, you know, these, well, pa- yeah. these pairings, you know. Well, that's true. That's a good so, point. I thought yeah, that. Yeah. But Rebecca loves, loves Jacob. And, you know, I also wonder, and this is the, he's like, you know. I'm Jake, never going to think about him the same. <laughs> Jacob's not running around so. with food in his mouth. He's the one I think we need to have in charge. Welcome to Reading in Church and Other Distractions with Rob and Mike. Welcome back to Reading in Church and Other Distractions. I am Robert Wallace. I'm Michael McKeever. And we are in the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, or proper 11, depending on your tradition. So, proper. I like that. I don't know if the proper's it's a little more, uh, I guess, Episcopal, but... Uh, Make a shorter title when we post it. it that's proper. Proper. A proper podcast. Proper. But we can only do that but for... But shorter. A just shorter. Some people have been requesting that. Short, no, no. Shorter. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> or this or week, a proper podcast. <laughs> this week we're going to do uh, Genesis 28, verses 10 through 19a, uh, Psalm 139, portions of Psalm 139, okay. the, the, the feel-good portions, uh, and then the middle of Romans 8, and then Matthew 13. So some more parables, I guess, come mm-hmm. Matthew 13. Hence. Oh, he's wearing a, a parable t-shirt Parable today. t-shirt. Not a lot of people have parable t-shirts. No. That's a, that's a <laughs> niche market. People selling parable t-shirts. This is from a community, parables community, special needs, special gifts. It's a community for special needs folks in church. Oh. So when special needs folks come to church, sometimes we don't incorporate them at all right, in our that, worship. Right, that's only 1% of churches have ministries designed for special needs. Okay, and then and then they're not very, very fully integrated into the n- normal worship. Right. And when that happens, the burden typically falls upon the parents right. or caregivers. Right, right. And that's not ideal either. So this is a this is a church community formed around that they're the center of the community, and oh. they figure out how they're going to worship, and we join them. Nice. It's really interesting. That is fun. We had a, a community when I was an interim pastor of a church in in Georgia. They were the teenagers. Um, You've told me about with their this. own Sunday school group, yeah. and and every Sunday they would have a worship time in their mm-hmm. Sunday school time, and one Sunday out of the year. They led worship for oh, okay. the entire congregation, and it, of course, mirrored their Sunday school yeah. worship, which meant that three songs would be sung <laughs> you told in me every this. worship. You would sing "Jesus Loves Me," uh-huh. you would sing the national anthem, yes. and you would sing "Folsom Prison Blues." Um, <laughs> exactly, Folsom Prison. <laughs> and so, and so uh, they get up there, I and, and they would lead Folsom. You know, Folsom Prison Blues. What is the story behind Folsom Prison? Blues? I have no idea. There was someone in that community that loved that song. Well, and, who doesn't love that and, song? And 
I, I have said many times that it was that experience that changed my attitude toward worship and, and helped me realize that in <laughs> and truth, Johnny Cash. Yeah, God could <laughs> actually redeem anything uh -huh. used for worship because yes. seeing how this community experienced, I've often said worship is the response to the presence of God and seeing how this community responded to presence of God in mm -hmm. Folsom prison blues uh -huh. and us experiencing yes. that it truly uh -huh. was yeah. a worship song on that Sunday morning mm -hmm. and, and move, deeply moving, particularly that church that was going through a serious worship challenge at the time. So, yeah. so yeah, that was a, that was a, an incredible experience to, awesome. to be a part of that congregation. They made me a birdhouse to, they all painted a birdhouse for me when I left <laughs> that. And every, every group had one single responsibility. So the birdhouse is the most, you know, convoluted thing you've ever seen. One side of the roof of the birdhouse was done by the some of the OCD uh, folks, and so the bricks are meticulously done <laughs> and colored in a repeated pattern. Okay. Then the other side had some of the Downs folks, so it's just splashed and splotted, <laughs> and they, you know, and it's just it was it's the most precious thing ever. I'm I'm so proud. It's of that the birdhouse. church. It is the church. It is absolutely the church. So which actually in in. Uh... In Matthew, in Matthew is a birdhouse. It's a it's a big tree where the birds perch. <laughs> we should I should have saved that then. We could have could have made that link in later, but that's okay. Although this one is the fish. The parable of the fish. The fish is is swimming against the uh, other fish, and I had a oh yeah, the I red had, fish is swimming against the, fish, the yeah. tan yeah. fish and the white. And when you fish. when you start this worship service, there's a big basket full of fish, and everybody grabs their fish, <laughs> and they go in, and then they bring the fish up for a basket at the offering. It's very interesting. <laughs> no. Wow. I was wearing this in Hawaii, and I was holding my mask and snorkel. As, and I, yeah, I texted the picture to the uh, pastor there. I said, "I checked this out. This checks out. Fish don't always swim the same direction. <laughs> <laughs> Why should we?" Wow, that's really neat. Yeah, it is very. We'll have to post a picture of the T-shirt now on it's our. Very neat. Okay, our, I'll do that on our page. Yes, yeah. yeah. because descri describing, you know, yeah, we're right. makes great radio. Yeah, I posted the meme describing last pictures. week. Yeah, I saw yeah. that. So, well, you want to do Genesis twenty-eight? I do. I do. Uh, me too. 10 to 19a. Correct. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. Because that ground is hard. It's so you want to <laughs> have something. You always find head. a stone. Yeah. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And the Lord said, Stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> and Shirley said nothing. <laughs> and he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it, and he called that place Grease Rock. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. <laughs> Literally in the Hebrew, Shanana. No, 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 boy, that's a deep cut from the yeah. 70s. No. <laughs> or in, in Spanish, the Betty. Be Bethel. Bethel is but, what oh, he called But it. the name of the city was Luz at first. Yes. 
All right. Uh, I was so, stretching because you, you keep grabbing I'm something good. from my it. library. I okay. found it. Oh. Um, so we've got the we, we've jumped ahead in the story a little bit. We skipped the betrayal uh-huh. where um, Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rebecca heard that Isaac was planning on blessing Esau, and she knew that God had told her that the older would serve the younger, and mm-hmm. so she immediately leaps into action. Uh, oh, we says, talked about that, but we did not read we did, it. Yeah, we didn't read it. We skipped no. over that. Path. We right. alluded, we foreshadowed it, and now we have to do it in retrospect. So he is heading out. I'm almost thinking, we also talked about Esau, the return. I'm thinking, oh, is he returning? No, he's, he's no, leaving he's home. He's leaving home, yeah, because um, after Esau... Is going now. Esau's decided he's going to kill Jacob for stealing this blessing from his mm-hmm, father. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rebecca heard that Esau was going to do this and said, uh, "Oh my gosh, I can't let Esau kill my son, and then I won't have you know that'll be terrible." So she goes to Isaac and say, "You know, if Jacob marries one of these kids, one of these women from around here, I'm just uh, not I know what I'm gonna do with myself." And Isaac uh, says, "Well, maybe maybe he should go visit yeah, your brother." And yeah. she says, "That's a great idea, yeah. even though she's already told right. Jacob you need to go yeah. visit my brother." Yeah. So she's she's pulling all the strings mm-hmm. in this circumstance. Yeah. She's she is definitely where Jacob got his personality from. And so now Jacob is fleeing. He's running away. And uh and I've always found this passage to be just incredibly encouraging because mm. Jacob has to be feeling like he is he's he's lost. I mean, he's, it's that's it. The promise is done. Because you know, God has promised this great nation, God has promised this land, and now he's being mm-hmm. forced to leave this land. Yeah. After being weaned likely on the stories of the faith of his grandfather, now he is having to to run away, and uh, and it's got to feel very much like a failure. And then God comes, and I love that God appears to him and says, "I'm I'm Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, um, and the God of Isaac." Mm-hmm. Now he leaves off the oh. and Jacob part of this, and then goes yeah. on to say, "The land on which you lie, I'll give to you and your offspring, and your off." And he goes on and on, and it's this sense of, "Look, I was the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac." Okay. I'll be yours too, yeah, and I'll bring you back here safe. It's just this moment of God encouraging Jacob when he has to be, you know, thinking he's lost it, yeah. And God steps in and says, "Hey, you know, you're not out of this yet. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, this, we're going to play the long game here. We're going to bring you back. It's going to be okay." Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting the, the, the promise in terms of land and, mm-hmm. and and dust and rock. I'm thinking I was noticing all that this time through. Mm-hmm. It's like this is very rooted to this place. Very much. And he's having to leave this place, yeah. which is part and mm-hmm. the place is part of the promise. I mean, all that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, if this was a story about Abraham, Jacob would wake up and anoint the stone and leave. Um, it wouldn't be a story about Isaac because we don't have any of those. Mm-hmm. But this is Jacob, the the con artist, the manipulator, the man who always has to be in control. And so we always leave out the part of this story that makes me laugh. Oh, okay. Because What's that? what ends up happening is God makes this promise, right, that mm-hmm. he's going to be with you and I'm going to do all these things. And at the end of the passage, which actually is not in the lectionary, uh, it says Jacob made this vow. If God, if God will be with me and protect me on my journey and give me food and clothing, and if he will bring me back safely to my father, then I will make the Lord my God. Mm. And so there's the... <laughs> I think that is not unusual in our, in our experience. No, it's not. God initiates and then we respond in a way that as though God did not as initiate. As though God didn't initiate. And, and when he brings, and some people miss this too, when he brings the soup to Isaac, when he is going to mislead him, Isaac said, how'd you get back so fast? Jacob says, literally, the Lord Yahweh, your God gave me success. Oh, your God. He doesn't say, he doesn't huh. claim Yahweh for his own. And so here he says, you know, God says, I'll do all this. And Jacob goes, all right, God, if you do all this, 
then you can be my God. Like God's going to respond, oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. I'm so, wow. so wow. grateful for Impressive. you. You know, so he's, he is always trying to stay in control. That's um, interesting. Of the situation huh. as he's going through this. So wow, that's, that's Jacob, man. That's really hundred percent insightful psychology of his. It really his is. Mindset. It does show you his mindset through hmm. the story very much. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wow, you could talk a lot, a lot about that. <laughs> it's such a common thing. Well, I mean, I notice I, I do that. God well, sure. God's doing something, and then I'd like I frame it my own way. You know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a handle on this, and this like I'm gonna put this in a formula it's like yeah just be there for god <laughs> listen listen to what god's saying yeah he's he is completely in control or trying to be completely in control of the circumstance uh with everything i mean okay with god with with humanity with i mean all of it he's the one who's going to try and yeah. maintain control of the circumstance and not exactly a i mean we wouldn't hold him a hero of the faith no. in that regard no you know but a very relatable story and yeah. a very relatable person mm-hmm. in that way too so hmm. that's the fascinating thing about the ancestor stories is the Bible is happily happy to tell them in, in all of their unvarnished kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> glory here. This is not yeah. a, yeah. these aren't superheroes at all. I mean, Abraham, even, even though Abraham at the end is this amazing paragon of faith throughout the story is, is, you know, got some, make some mistakes yep. and, and these are real shows, la- shows doubt as much as he shows faith through that story. And yeah. Here, Jacob has the same kind of thing, this this not wanting to trust God's promise to just be God's promise, but actually wanting to, yeah, you know, maintain some measure of control with God, which is hysterical yeah. to me. You know? yeah. Okay, God, interesting, interesting offer, interesting okay. offer. I have a counterproposal. <laughs> counterproposal, uh, yeah. If you do these things, then you get a tenth of my things and you can be my God. All right? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Can you read those verses again? You probably closed it. I closed it, it but I can, really I can find it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, we can talk more about your shirt while I'm finding it <laughs> or something. Oh, um, I cut out the interim. You cut out the, the, the myths there. Jacob made this vow. If God will be with me and protect me on this journey and give me food and clothing, and if he will bring me back safely to my father, then I will make the Lord my God. And this memorial pillar will become a place for worshiping God, and I will give him a tenth of everything he gives me. So, <laughs> so, and that's why we tithe. Not I? not a tenth of everything I have, but oh. a tenth of everything that I can make sure and definitely attribute to God having given to me. <laughs> so we're gonna keep the receipts. And this was God's portion. How does that compare to how people vow? Because aren't vows like vows are a big deal? But but are, are they more um, kind of um, origins from? Uh, it doesn't feel like God's. Uh, you're seeking God, or is it a response to God? Usually, maybe there's no template for that. I I don't know. It's it's normally I want something. It's a quid pro quo is what it is. Yeah, it's searching for God. It's a it's a calling out to God. God, you know. I mean, that's the the occasions I can think of in Scripture. But here's God's already shown up big time. Yeah, and then he makes made an appearance, makes a vow, and he makes a vow that yeah, that's true. It's an interesting thing. So it is it is meeting this extraordinary act of grace on behalf of God with, I mean suspicion and control right? mm-hmm. i mean here mm-hmm. god has appeared and jacob yeah. has not fallen at his feet and cried out rabbi you know J- right. jacob, yeah. jacob has said okay interesting good to see you thanks for dropping yeah. by right. this is awesome i didn't i didn't know you were here and that okay. i think is interesting too because you know gods had such regional identities right okay. you had the gods of egypt the gods of babylon the gods of assyria the gods of canaan 
And so Yahweh is the family God mm-hmm. and Jacob is forced to leave his family area. And then when he wakes up, his exact words were, wow, Yahweh is here. And I didn't know it mm-hmm. that, that Yahweh's influence might extend beyond yeah. just my family unit uh, uh, here, is, yeah. is a surprise to, to Jacob. And it would have been a surprise to anybody. I mean, we, we take for granted, you know, God's everywhere, you yeah. know, but, but this portable mm-hmm. deity was, that's a yeah. radical idea in the ancient Near East yeah. and yeah. Jacob struggling with that. And so he's leaving. Bethel is what north, northwest of Jerusalem. Uh, it if is it's the same yeah, Bethel. It's just north of Jerusalem. And where is yeah. he leaving from? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they were a bunch of wandering Arameans. So. Yeah. So it says he left Beersheba and went toward. Yeah. Well, Herod. that would be south, going to the northeast at that point. Okay. So. I wonder how far he journeyed before he uh, had that experience. That wouldn't have been too far. Yeah. We don't know when he left either. He yeah. Was mad. What yeah. time of day? Yeah. It was a Tuesday afternoon. It was, everybody, oh, it was a wintry Tuesday. No, um, yeah. Well, there was a guy who left for, in Judges who left from Bethlehem and couldn't get any farther than the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, that's like you know, that's nothing. That's yeah. like ten miles. He couldn't get it anywhere. Um, so this is probably I don't know. Now geography is funny in the Bible. I'm guess I'm guessing this might be thirty miles. Okay, it might not be that far. Yeah, might be a little further. That's I would. It's a long ways in up, those days. Yeah, measure. that's quite a journey. I mean, he's mm-hmm. on his way. Um, at that point, but yeah, but it's funny because Bethel was the southernmost border for the northern kingdom of Israel after they split. So it's weird for me to think that that was a far journey north. But Beersheba was the southernmost border okay. of the Ju- of Judah oh, at the time. Okay. okay, so you know I've never put that together before, but I'm wondering mm-hmm. if there's something there in the way they talk about it. He's 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 now gone the span it's of, on the border there of the tribe of Judah at this point, which doesn't exist at this point, obviously, right. but, mm-hmm. but anyone reading that would recognize yeah. that distance. So he's covered the nation. And, and so that would, that might explain why he might think that why a reader might understand why he might think God might not be there because mm-hmm. in the reader's mind, he would have left the region of the country yeah. that Yahweh was associated with. Right. Um, yeah. That was a convoluted sentence, but yeah. I think it made no, sense for you. No, levels of reading we don't have. Yeah, I mean, we've got the author and the implied author and the mm-hmm. ancient author and all those things. And, and Bethel, in addition to all those other meanings I've teased out, means, <laughs> in addition to those, in addition to those, means house of God. It does. Right. Nice yeah. job on the Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if I pronounced that right. Shashanana. Shashanana. Oh. Digging deep. That is. I remember Bowser. Remember remember Bowser. Remember Bowser. Anyway, uh, Jacob's one of my people are running to Google right now. (laughs) What? Shanana spelled just like it sounds. Just like it sounds. Yeah. Uh, Jacob's one of my favorite characters um, for the reason that he is such a scoundrel. I mean, he's really. Yes. And I know we're never going to get this later on, but he, he literally, once he has his children by his two official wives and two handmaids. Um, and he goes to meet Esau and he's worried Esau might kill them all. He literally lines them up in the yeah. order he loves them the most. Right. <laughs> From least to greatest. So that in the event I of a problem. I love you all equally, but let's line up this way. Let's line up, yeah. As we go meet our hey, uncle. Exactly. <laughs> the sharp so, I mean, this is a guy. The hunter. He is, again, always in control, but yeah. not exactly yeah. the paragon of not virtue. Not exactly trusting God in no. that. And no. come a long way. Yeah, he's on the a, return. He's a hoot. Do so. we know where he wrestles with God yeah. on the return? Mm-hmm. We is do. It different location. It is. It's just north of here. Ah, okay. The fords of the Jabbok River, okay. actually. 
Oh, I thought you meant like Algonquin. No. Up the road here. Okay. <laughs> no. That was, that was indeed surprising. Wow. <laughs> What's the... West of Schomburg, yes. <laughs> Just a little west of it. We've all wrestled with God in Schomburg. <laughs> Usually at the mall. The mall or yeah. Ikea. So, anyway. wow. And God is, at, see, I've heard someone preach on this. It's like God is in this place, not God was in this place. But uh, there's different, you know, places you can zero in without context. He continues to be in this place. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. He's he's everywhere. Yeah. I think that's the part that, that is fascinating. Is, Particularly for an ancient person. Yeah. That God's all over the place. Yahweh mm -hmm. can be all over the place. Mm-hmm. Subheading of Psalm 139. Yeah. God's, God's all over the place. God's nationwide. That is. That's the title. So. Oh. Good time to switch to Psalm oh, 139. Okay. Then. 39. Yeah. Not the whole thing, but... Just the, just the cool bits. Yeah. Yeah, God's in the other parts, too, but <laughs> we're going to read these parts. All right, Psalm 139, 1 through 12, and 23 through 24. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to read this like some someone trying to get away from God. Should I read it with that tone? Maybe <laughs> if just different rants. Or if you'd like, like, he's really you know, upset that God is I ever... am convinced that no matter what I say, you will read it the way you want to read it yeah, anyway. So I just uh, usually agree with you. I don't even you. read it the way I read it sometimes. <laughs> want, want to read it. What I set out, my goals are not achieved. Here we go. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. Ah, I see the connection with the other yeah, story now. That. Someone's lying down. Okay, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful too wonderful for me. Even say. Yeah, even, <laughs> un, ineffable. <laughs> it is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle on the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Mm -hmm. Nice. This is a beloved psalm. Everyone yes. really likes this psalm. I have a story about this. Oh, really? Please tell your okay, story. Okay, all right. So I'm a new, uh, newish believer. And I come into... You're telling it as as in time, yes. Yeah, this is You're like... You're not currently a newish Months ago. <laughs> months ago. This is several months ago at this point. A newbie in the uh -oh. faith. And I may, I go into this uh, new, for me, you know, youth group. And I think the, the youth pastor was new also. And like he was... he was A new Christian or... He was new to the youth new group. To the, new to the youth group. Well, okay. maybe not. Maybe he wasn't. I, I think it was interim or something like that. Anyway, he's sizing me up. Don't think to yourself that they don't size you up. They're often, you're in the crosshairs and they're, they're sizing you up. I have no idea. It was a weird vibe, but that was what was going on. He's going, and he, he's getting a feel, of, a feel of people by, he's asking them their favorite psalm. Okay. And and some weird thing, I was doing some weird thing in this guy's life because I was like, I would come in and it seemed like I would, I'm just the rookie, but mm. I'm always stealing his thunder somehow. I don't know <laughs> this is going on. So he's going all around and then he's about to share this. Yeah. Okay. And I said, well. 
I'm just reading through the Bible. I don't know. I think God, there's so much good stuff in the Psalms, but I really like Psalm 139. He goes, nah. you know, it's like when Jerry goes, Newman, you know? it's like, it's just weird. It's like, I, I think we could both like Psalm 139. No, no, no. Only one <laughs> no, person. That's can mine. Like it. You got to choose another. Yeah. There's 150. <laughs> choose another. Well, you know, you'd like to think that, but in the lectionary, well, we've yeah, already you know, dipped into Allegedly, a couple of them. According times. to the numbers, but. But uh, yeah, beloved psalm, and it's it's interesting because it's a psalm of David. So remember, mm-hmm. we said it's Psalm seventy-two. The prayers of David, mm-hmm. son of Jesse, were ended. Mm-hmm. Um, only there was one in Book Three and two in Book Four, yeah. and then you know seventeen and yeah, five. Thoughts of David. But this is the second of the final eight, basically. This this, this is there's eight psalms oh, of David okay. at the end. There's a collection of Davidic psalms right before the right before the end, and this is the second of them. Um. And so that gives us a little bit of maybe some context for which the editors wanted us to read it. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's obviously talking about how God is everywhere. And it's hard to know exactly how to read this. Mm -hmm. And there's there's a couple of ways you can do this. Most people try to read this in sort of the the precious moments kind of, gosh, God, everywhere I go, everywhere Mm -hmm. I go, God, there you are. I can't can't even escape you. But there are some who read this as sort of a frustrated – Okay. You know, well, that's what I'm saying. I could read it that I way, like Jonah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, where you know, can I, I go? Where am I going to go to escape you? Yeah. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. Where can yeah. I go to escape Here you? Here you are inside this whale. The darkness is light to you, but you know that's mm-hmm. funny because Jonah, he doesn't even. He's not sad about the whale in Jonah. No, no. Yeah, he's suddenly very pious. He's very kind yeah. of over the top pious. Yeah, you know? he's glad he almost drowned. Yeah. He was grateful for the whale. Mm-hmm. In the most people don't read that psalm, but yeah. it's true. The song he wrote was whew, that was a close one. Yeah. <laughs> Things were looking dark for a second, then a whale ate me. But yeah, this one, it could be that kind of perspective where it's, you know, I I don't know. But I do know that the part that everyone always leaves out of this is at the end where you get verses 19 and 20 and and 21 where it's, uh, boy, the wicked. They're everywhere. Have you noticed that, God? Just wicked. Mm. I wish you'd destroy the wicked. Mm. I mean, the wicked are there. The blasphemers are there. The enemies are there. I wish you'd do something about the wicked. And then it finishes up with search me, oh mm-hmm. God, and try me and know and, yeah. and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me to everlasting. Oh, so, okay. So the, the the context I think a lot of readers see this psalm coming from is one where we're surrounded by enemies. And, okay. and whether it's a, yeah. a king who's trying to secure his throne or whether it's probably when this guy came together coming back from exile um, – Surrounded by enemies, uh, yeah. I mean, all of that uh, is is here, and hmm. and that God's answer in the midst of that uncertainty is probably what they're looking at. Um, a okay. lot of I and you language here for God. Uh, um, okay. A lot of I. I think there's a, a like a 14 mentions of I and a yeah. dozen mentions of God. I okay. mean, so that there's a a real exchange and dialogue that you have in some ways with the way the psalmist is thinking about relationship between the. And are the use y'alls? No, they are not. So these not trinitarian. Use, this at is this not point. a trinitarian reading. Of, <laughs> okay. No. All right. These are just you. Just trying to ask the questions the listeners are probably thinking. <laughs> yes. Yes. Y'all. Really? You think that's what they're thinking? <laughs> ah, Interesting. Who knows? Yeah, who can divine their will? Um, but yeah, this is a uh, very strong relationship. <laughs> no, I'm there. I've got it. <laughs> Power through. Strong relationship between God and and you know this. I yeah, and thou, personal. which you have going on Very here. Personal. Yeah, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the Sheol reference, uh, which is, we've mentioned before, you don't have this this fully nuanced sense of afterlife. The Sheol was the place everyone went. It's mm. just a word that means grave. And yeah. um, 
It's it's the opposite of living. Whatever is the opposite of mm. life and connection okay. to God and joy and happiness, that's what Sheol is. And so this is a bold statement to say that even in Sheol, you know, I can't escape from God, which everyone would assume. In fact, some of the earlier Psalms actually try to manipulate God into healing because I think it's Psalm 6 who says, look, in Sheol, there's no praise of you. So oh, heal yeah. me, O oh Lord. Yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. you need all the friends you can get in this world, God, and <laughs> you probably want to probably want to heal me because if I'm in Sheol, that's one less person to praise you. Uh-huh. And, okay. you know, it's, you, yeah. you need friends. Yeah. Here's you the benefits. Let me lay this out. Let me lay this out for you. You're, I'm helping. Help me help yeah. you, help God. Me. <laughs> that's basically what Psalm 6 help is doing. me praise you. Um, but here in Sheol, I mean, this is this is a bold statement that in, mm-hmm. if I make my bed in Sheol, okay. God is even in Sheol. And I think most people who would have heard this psalm would have thought, no. No, yeah. that can't be right. What? So this is a a statement of of you know vast power and presence mm. of God that you don't have in a lot of places in the Psalm. There are a lot of places in the Bible, much less than even in the Psalms. Hmm. So it has a sense as you know it's different every time I read it. Whether I'm uh, still in the thunder of a youth pastor or, <laughs> or in my later years as yeah. now, yeah. <laughs> it has now it has this kind of retrospective kind of like. Thinking about, oh, you know, uh, looking back on things like right. kind of like, uh, yeah, God's been there all the time. All mm-hmm. these different mm-hmm. uh, life experiences that one has. So, yeah, it's so interesting to know how to read these these psalms. Mm-hmm. The, and the way they've edited it, what has struck me, because I obviously haven't read it this way, jumping from 12 to 23, you're yeah. talking about you search the darkness you know, you're in the darkness. It says, it says light to you. Search me, mm-hmm. you know, my heart. You go, oh, is that, what's he saying about his heart? Although yeah. there's a, obviously a 11 verse jump forward, but mm-hmm. it is an interesting juxtaposition. It's, it's funny because I've, my, my perspective on Psalms has always been a very canonical one. I, I read the Psalm, individual Psalms typically in, in their places and where they, where they sit within books and where they sit within the Psalter as a whole. And so, Okay. Like for it's example, true. he does not rip pages out of the. Psalter. I don't. I don't rip them. I've never so seen for that me, happen. One thirty-eight and one forty are helpful in reading one thirty-nine. You know, because uh, I want to see the uh, way these things have been redacted okay. together and see stories come out. And uh, and so I actually presented on this once and said that you know at the end of this, uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Um, it doesn't go well. You got to be careful what you ask God for because. 140, 141, all these are laments. Hmm. Uh, it's it's a straight hmm. individual lament straight to the end of one forty-five of these Davidic Psalms. So it's like after God searched his heart, it didn't go well for David. Oh. So you want to be very careful yeah. what you okay. Cause like the next verse after, you know, and lead me to uh, point me out that anything that offends you and lead me in the paths of everlasting life. The next, the first verse of the next Psalm is, Oh Lord, rescue me from evil people. <laughs> okay. like, and that's so, a Psalm of David. Also. That is also a Psalm of David. Okay. Yeah. So these, this is be careful. Mm. If you ask God to say, Hey, see, see if there's anything I've done to offend you. Uh, Cause there's a chance there is, but uh, yeah. So I always hear you talk about reading canonically, but I don't think I've read the Psalter canonically. Yeah. You know, well, I tend to do one Psalm at a yeah, time. Yeah. That's what so. most people do. Yeah. That's what most people do. Yeah. But it's uh that's interesting. It is. It's a fascinating <clears throat> narrative. I think that comes out from one to one fifty, hmm. and, and different people see different narratives that take place. I mean, I have sort of followed the line that, the the Psalter itself sort of follows the history of Israel and the kingship and the loss of kingship and exile and the restoration. But um, people like Brueggemann read it as the journey of faith where you go okay. from yeah. naive obedience to naive trust in 150. Um, yeah. And, uh, 
and the turning point being for him 73. So, I mean, it's, it's fascinating hmm. different ways to hmm. read them as that, that there's a sense of narrative that comes out of this mm-hmm. book yeah. of poetry um, in the way in which it's redacted together. But very, most people read it as an anthology, right? It's just a, co- a collection. Mm-hmm. Um, do you sound through hymnals in churches when you're bored I, and see I, how they're organized? I do. We typically do it topically. Um, the Psalter well, yeah. didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, songs for Advent, mm-hmm. songs for Christmas, yeah, yeah. songs Most. for... Yeah, that's the way we typically we put hymnals. Right. Back when hymnals existed. But, right. We have hymnals. Yeah, ah, yeah and, that's true. And a supplement, yeah, well, which I told you is because... We can't, couldn't we have agree to, on what's in the hymnal. No, we have to do it by consensus. Right. So right. we're not going to take anything out. We're going to add. So just, <laughs> they can't anymore. Do you not, can you not take anything out because you can't farm consensus with the people who are dead who put those hymn books in hymn Well, books that in could there? be, too. Yeah. No, this is mainly the people who are alive. But by me in deference, too. I mean, there might be yeah. pre- precedent. Like some tr- tradition to those people who found that to be important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. So at our, our – uh, I didn't go to our annual conference for a denomination, but I heard um, when people uh, – during the business meeting, when people would go to the microphone, they heard there were some impassioned speeches on some issues that are mm-hmm. – Facing the denomination. Yeah. And uh, and so people started clapping, or some people started clapping for some people, and they said, no, we either all clap together or we don't clap, because clapping can then become divisive. It can. I thought, well, that is wisdom. That there. is true. That was very interesting. Or we laugh, all laugh together, or wow. we don't laugh. Wow. That's a very interesting thing. Well, your, your denomination is big on consensus. They're That's very, it's always they're been. very much about keeping yeah. peace and figuring out how to do that. How That's to live together. Very interesting. Yeah. Wow. Huh. All right, we want to go to Romans 8. Yeah, that would be the perfect verse to read after this. Yeah. I don't know why, but we'll maybe if we'll, we'll find we'll it. Well, we'll make it any good. As we read if they should give our PhDs back if we can't connect it. Come on. Yeah. Uh, Romans 8, 12 through 25. Uh, so then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Duh. For if you, <laughs> yeah, I think does understood there. <laughs> For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Wait, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. That's mm-hmm. the way he meant that. Yeah. I'm going to get the inflection right. Uh, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. The creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. We are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved, now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All right. Wow. That is, you know, it's been a while since I read that, and I picked up some stuff this time I've never seen before. Okay, isn't that interesting? That's, That's a great thing about, you know, reading this stuff. Uh, I'm thinking about the lectionary, you know. Well, I mean, a regular reading... Uh, uh, 
program of any sort. Yeah. Like, yeah. Bring you. We bring things to the text. We have different contexts. We're, we're juxtaposing texts. What would, what jumped out at you? The creation language. Yeah. Um, that's what jumped out at me. The, the, so often I think in the past when I would have read that, I would have read that as thinking of bodies. I wouldn't have thought of the broader yeah. part of creation. Yeah. And the, you know, I, I talk a great deal in the old Testament about God's, trusting us with the stewardship of this mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And Paul's point here is that we've really dropped the ball on yeah. the stewardship of this world. Mm -hmm. We've really got this world frustrated by that and looking forward to the fact that once we act like God, we'll treat this world right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a big part of that's this. That's fascinating. And that I this is, this is we're that. part of this bigger fabric of redemption and it's not, it's not just about us. Right. But it, it does give us prominence that it's been subjected to, um, Futility um, mm -hmm. uh, with us, and it and it has that hope for uh, redemption and freedom. And I mean, glory. I'd seen the Colossians line, right? Colossians one twenty. Mm -hmm. You know, all things are being have been redeemed, but I'd never seen it in these this sort of laid out explicitly like yeah. this, um, where creation is like, come on, people, you're dropping the ball here. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here groaning. You need to treat me better than this and maybe yeah. maybe when you're heirs in christ you'll treat me well, better that's than one this. of the things i mean we, we certainly you can get into that i think erroneous mindset of like well it's all you know it's all gonna burn it's all gonna burn. <laughs> it's all gonna burn it's all gonna burn well that's not god's god's goal is to redeem and, and free it and 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 uh just like we live into that new reality in our own bodies we need to live into that reality and with our stewardship mm. and and the and we need to live into that reality in terms of justice and, and, and the whole, the whole consistent big perspective that uh, God is redeeming all these things, and we they participate in our groanings and which are groanings of labor pains because something new is going to birth, uh, break forth. But this is saying this is not as though you just wait till that to happen or God's right. going to make a new creation. No, you live mm -hmm. in light of an accord with that emerging kingdom. It's, it's and our colleague, our liturgical colleague, who mm -hmm. guested on our first podcast mm -hmm. now so many months ago, right. uh, wrote a book about um, in which he did case studies right. of churches and their responsibilities in creation. And he was saying it's that called greening greening spaces, greening spaces, that right? Greening yeah. spaces yeah. by Mark Torgerson. Yeah, and in it, he basically found several different uh, kinds of people, several different kinds of churches doing different things. So there was the people, the, the churches that are focusing on efficiency. Mm -hmm. So, you know, replacing their light bulbs with yeah. CFLs and stuff, mm -hmm. but all the efficiency does is sort of slow your driving to the cliff. Okay. And then there was the churches that were fo focusing on sustainability okay. and trying to stop the car. And then he said, then there were these few communities that were uh, redemptive and restorative in the way they were oh, doing okay. things. And so there was a, I think a convent up in Wisconsin that got this land and basically cleared the, what had become a watershed for agriculture. Oh, okay. And so they cleared this pond out and restored the area in a way that then benefited all of the areas around it and animal life and all this stuff. So it was, it's, it's interesting that you have these people speaking yeah. redemptively. We, we, we did a, uh, did a series after the Leviticus series in Sunday school, we did a series on, on uh, steward, stewardship and creation. And yes. we visited a congregation out to the West Who's doing all three of those at once? Oh, really? <laughs> so as we took toward their facility and their grounds, they're changing their light bulbs to be more efficient. Um, they are doing some solar stuff and some thermal. Uh, we use the heat of the earth, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. to heat and to cool. 
But then there's regions of their their land where they are restoring the prairie. Mm. Well, it's very interesting. I mean, yeah. I didn't really think about it until you kind of laid it out that way. There's a congregation that's yeah, it's kind of the continuum, and, and, and it's it's probably a mixture of that. I mean, where we're at in terms of uh, um, you can do something. It's good to stop. It's good to slow down so as you're headed to toward the cliff. Heading toward the cliff. Not a bad nice idea. It's a good around. start, yeah. and it'll lead you to do other things. And but, of course, as they're trying to be sustainable, having more efficient, you yeah. know light and it's going to help that but that that is so explicitly referenced here for all these years and i've missed it is always very convicting for me yeah (laughs) because it's like oh my gosh i could have been saying this longer yeah you know yeah there's a lot about that a lot about that and there is legitimately i didn't see that until some you know uh, someone like Wright points it out but other other people have pointed it out in this it's a lot of uh exodus imagery being led by the spirit that that uh, God's leading and the pillar of fire is suggested mm. in some uh, later writings as the God's spirit. Anything about leading is often tied back to God's spirit. Um, verse 15, slavery, falling back into fear. Mm. Um, there's mm. a lot. There's a lot there, more than you realize. Wow. Um, going on here. Um, 15, uh, I just caught my attention here uh, where it talks about when we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and uh, people are reclaiming that and interpreting that different ways. It's a very familiar sort mm-hmm. of um, term. Contemporary, I mean, contemporarily, it's a familiar term. I think in ancient contemporary, yeah. And they're looking for analogies yeah. here. And I hear some of our students do yeah. this. And and I mean, I don't want to tell anyone. It's very personal. What how you refer to language, God. how you refer yes. to God. But having said that, let me tell you how to refer to God. <laughs> 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 having said that, yeah. I mean, Daddy, I don't think captures it. No. No. Daddy, what it is, it's an intimate and familiar, but it could be something uttered by all ages. Right. Daddy, I think, replaces that with something exclusively of an a immature, child. a child. You're right. Childlike. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's a good analogy. Papa Agreed. is probably something you could say at every level, you know, mm-hmm. of maturity. Mm-hmm. And then, I, and then I, after, after trying to think about that, thinking about, oh, I don't think, I think daddy misses it by some, by a little bit. Dad might. Uh, I mean, dad might, dad might, yeah. And then I read, I read, I was reading, and then someone was suggesting Papa. I go, oh, okay, that's interesting. Papa. Came to the, it's well, interesting if, when you come to the conclusion before you read it somewhere else. I mean, I don't use Papa, but Dad. Mm-hmm, dad would be mm-hmm. very, very familiar. But it would be, it would be one of those words like Mama, and be uh, an early a word that a, a child might speak very early because mm-hmm. it's got that pattern to it, and easy, mm-hmm. easy things for a child to pronounce. Um, but it's not reserved for uh, childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dad's mm-hmm. not bad. Yeah. I was just thinking, Southern culture, daddy can be longer, can. and mommy and mama can be longer. Mama, okay. Mama, mama will hang around. I mean, I heard yeah. my brother-in-law yeah. as uh-huh. you know a fifty-year-old man, mama, yeah. across the house, uh-huh. um, huh. and Cindy called her dad daddy okay. up until he died um, in the sixties. Would so. males do that? No, males wouldn't do daddy, I don't yeah. think. Well, I, you know, now that I say that, I think they, I, I've heard Jeff, heard refer, yeah, I've heard my brother-in-law say daddy when he was talking to his dad. Yeah, I've never been in a region um, where they did that, so. Um, so that might, might, be might work. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right. I think in, in the culture in which we sit, daddy is much more emphasizing immaturity. Um, it's, yeah, it's associated with that. Yeah. With uh, childhood. Yeah. And so. Which, if, if we're going after an image of humility and dependence might be a good image to conjure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but not 
but but sometimes almost fatalism. I don't say fatalism. That's not what I mean. I mean something like uh, uh, abrogation of responsibility yeah. uh-huh. kind of perspective, right. which you don't yeah. want to. Yeah, you don't Daddy wants you to grow up now. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Daddy wants you to use grown-up words. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so that's a good catch. That is a Papa. Might be a good way to. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, dad in our part of the world. I mean, probably more people use dad than mm-hmm. than uh, papa in our, our part of the world. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to think of things that I did would hear a, a child say and yeah. uh, and an adult. And it's always interesting to think about the uh, contemporary the two syllable thing helps when, particularly when you're yelling the name from across the house. Mm. Two syllables works. Okay, and that may be why. Yeah. Um, why yeah. I've heard. There's a lot of yelling in my in-laws' family. So. <laughs> yelling at someone is a has connotations of intimacy. Yeah, that's like, true. I don't yell at strangers, but I do yell at my family <laughs> because we're close. Exactly. Right. Oh. And don't put on any airs. All the all the veneer has been peeled away. Right. Yeah. What else you got going on in this passage here? You know, I study this and then I go. There's so much. I'll just see what comes up. So. <laughs> Uh, the creation thing's exciting for me. Definitely, I mean, that, the, that to me is the just creation amazing. thing. The uh, the hope mm-hmm. that hope as a um, not like a, a hail mary, but a, a, a certainty, assurance yeah. for something that hasn't. Um, it it is, someone has phrased it as hope is the language that Paul uses for the connection between the now and the not yet. Mm. which he's emphasizes that and usually when exhorting people to live into that reality that's not yet fully emerged but hope is something you can lay hold to to make that connection between the two mm. and it's not just a, a desperate like oh yeah. you know uh, one a in wish. a thousand it's not a wish it yeah. is something that more tangible um I was trying to think of analogies, and I, I didn't yeah, spend I was, a lot of time. In my mind, I was trying to think. I was of thinking about analogy. at our age uh, and our our children's ages. You think about like an acceptance letter to a mm. to a college. Like okay, you're not there yet, but it's like oh, this this grants access. Mm-hmm. You know, and or some people uh, in Pauline language they make the distinction. This is you're on that journey between justification and sanctification or glorification. Mm. Um, this is kind of like this is where you're going, you know. Yeah. I know, I know what this institution is going to do to me, and I know I've seen people come out the other end, and this right. is, I'm going to have that experience. Right. I can lay hold of that. So that's you know that's, that's something people check the uh, check the mailbox for that you know letter right. of acceptance. You know, right. it's not. That's probably a good one because that has the sense of it's not now, it hasn't happened, mm-hmm. but it but it has happened. The acceptance has happened. The, yeah. There's trust. I mean, that, that's not a bad. The acceptance has happened, and then you're going to work something out in those. And, in those and years you know, you know, you're going to go there, even mm-hmm. though you're not there, and it hasn't yeah. happened. And, right. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's probably a good, close yeah. as we can get. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and and I was um, I was persuaded that this is very much one of the dominant metaphors is is ex- exodus. is exodus. Mm-hmm. You know, bondage and and being led. And uh, and that uh, all of creation is looking for that liberation. Also, that's this is a this is a big big picture. Mm. One of the things that's helpful in terms of the, stepping back and looking at the big picture, I've often emphasized how eight is summing up a lot that's going on from one through eight. Mm-hmm. But most specifically, um, argument and language from five to eight. That's kind of its own thing. So, actually, there's a nice little bookend at the beginning of. Uh, Five. Let me read five one through five. Similar themes, which which kind of gives you a perspective of 
how Paul is seeing this mm-hmm. big picture and mm-hmm. how he's structuring things is like, wow. He's, you know, it's like when, like, I wasn't a reader of the Harry Potter stories, mm-hmm. but when they got to that last, uh, you know, the last episode and like, oh my goodness, she was planning this she out. She was tying stuff she was, together. She was intricately planning out this plot mm-hmm. from the beginning. Yeah. So uh, Romans 5, where he begins this section of the letter, um, we read, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. That's really coming Mm -hmm. back around to that at Mm -hmm. this point. Uh, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the real strong emphasis on... uh, Hope mm-hmm. and moving forward into this new reality and the leading of the spirit and glory. I mean, all those things come back and and patience. Uh, but if, he rounds this section out. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Mm-hmm. So the reality that uh, this is not um, uh, uh, annulled by suffering. Yeah. Suffering's part of that. In fact, putting that kind of suffering in, in framework, it's like birth pangs, you know, the mm-hmm. tremendous suffering that... That springs yeah. forth into this new life and mm-hmm. this this joyous um, occasion. Yeah. Well, his sufferings were always indications that he was on the right track. I mean, that mm-hmm. was that was the way in Corinthians yeah. that he okay. you know showed yeah. his evidence of mm-hmm. apostleship. Yeah. So my resume. Suffering. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. This is not. This is not a. This doesn't nullify your faith. Right. You know, right. I is, got the marks of the apostle on my body. You want me to see my I'm resume? See, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll you show, the, you. show you. The this stonings one. and the whippings and the <laughs> right. at sea and the shipwrecks and <laughs> this the thieves. This, this, this hand don't work. What is that? Yeah, yeah. I'm blind in this eye. This <laughs> hand, hand don't work. Hand don't work. That's his resume. Yeah. That's okay. It. Very much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, if you want to see the big picture, read five through eight. If uh, uh, the smaller picture. It's, it's nice to hear that because I think, you know, I think sometimes we become products of our own culture and the way the students think about writing their papers is, oh, and here's another thought. Right? Uh-huh. And it's just this, it's you thought. know, just a collection yeah. of stream of consciousness. And, and Paul is, no, no, there's some organization here. He's got, oh, yeah. he's got yeah. thoughts. He's, he's oh. put it together. He's got, you know, sections and themes that are being tied together as mm-hmm. he goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I have a handout for term papers and you're always refining these things. But it says at one point, a conclusion, have a conclusion. Here's something that shouldn't be in a conclusion, a new thought. <laughs> okay. Right. It's probably not a conclusion. Probably it's not a, concluding. A it's a new thought. thought. Exactly. <laughs> in the body, have a thought. Although yeah. David might come back at the end of the Psalter, even though he's finished his words. Yeah. No more words. You know what? I've got a few yeah, more. Yeah. Actually. I, I got, yeah. Money was running out. I need to remember that character you thought was uh, right. had left. Well, that comes <laughs> back in. Yeah. It's like poor Willie Nelson, who owes so much to the government, he just keeps playing concerts. And, like, he's going to retire. He can't retire. He's got to keep paying. Yeah. <laughs> so David can't retire. Yeah, put out eight more psalms. <laughs> put out psalms. Yeah, box set. For Matthew 13? Yeah. Matthew chapter 13. Am I ready? I've got a t shirt. I know. Right, 24 to 30 and 36 to 43. We want to read those six verses. Yeah. Uh, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in a field. Didn't we say this one? No. 
but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. I hate when that happens. Yeah. When the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to them, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? His answer, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no. For in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into his house. And his disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, Okay, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> I was I was dozing off in the middle of that. Did yeah. you catch me up? Uh, the one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The we don't know who we are without the programs. Mm -hmm. uh, the weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers. They will throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. All right. So he skips over some other kingdom parables. And, mm -hmm. and, and Just to explain the... Gets back to explaining this yeah, part. this parable. Yeah, which is harder to understand. And he explains the sower to this in another part mm -hmm. to the disciples. Mm -hmm. So this is a lot like the sower, except it is more about the a different sower. You know, yeah. the, uh, why is this, why is there evil stuff? Well, this is the work of someone else. And th there's a divide, a divide between people thinking, is he talking about the church or is he talking about uh, the experience of the church uh, with outsiders mm -hmm. or with opposition, religious mm -hmm. opposition, which I had never heard this, the latter version. Yeah, I've always heard, heard this either. as a church thing because we do know that he's concerned about his church, and mm -hmm. there, there is a um, well. Actually, that might be might be circular thinking. It's things like this that make you think he's concerned about his church and people right. with different. Uh, you have a mixed Gentile and Jewish congregation. You've got some challenges of right. the church like this, and sure. how do you how do you navigate that? But it makes a lot of sense thinking about it outside the church too. So and I haven't really. Having just thought about this recently, I haven't you know, come down one way or the other. Or it might be that parables, it's not a... Uh, a, uh, a one or the other. Yeah. Well, I forget the word I'm thinking for. It might have more than one meaning. Multivalent. Yeah, but what's the word for like... I was going to say univalent, but does that make any sense? Well, I don't know. That's, that's not a word. Monovalent? Yeah. Anyway, know. yeah. It might... You're the guy with the master's in linguistics. Yeah, but the brain is not working. <laughs> Which card you played few times in this podcast. Yeah. The brain, it's, it's the, my, my brain's not, it's, it's not summer, brainy. It doesn't have to work that good. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's a, it's probably less problematic if you think about it with dealing with other, mm. you know, the synagogue and, and Pharisaic opposition. But that, that does spill over into uh, the church also. Mm -hmm. Paul dealt with mm -hmm. that. He dealt with synagogues that, that would stone him. Uh, but yeah. then also he would deal with um, Judaizers who right, were bring that church. mindset into the church and yeah. change the church. Um, it is I can, I, you know, it's very you, apocalyptic I'm just imagery. now thinking about it from the first time. Mm -hmm. I, I'd never heard that latter interpretation mm -hmm. either. Um, but you could see it. I mean, I could see that working in that regard. I mean, because it would be, in some ways, it would almost be a theodicy. I mean, it would be mm -hmm. a, yeah. you know, why do we, with these evil ones that are choking out 
the faithful ones, why can't we do something? Well, no, God yeah. will take care of that. Yeah. That's the reason they still exist. But at the end of the age is when that happens. Which, yeah. Um, we sort it out. But I've always heard the church. Yeah. Right, where this is where you've got you divisive don't, you don't issues weed, in the church. You don't, yeah, you don't weed people out. We don't call the church. We. Uh, uh, that's not the point. Yeah, it was unsatisfying. It was it was interesting to read that there's different perspective on this, or at least one you know author who uh, uh, who who um, advanced this other perspective. Mm-hmm. But what, though he was he he just went into it as though this is how you should read it. He's not wow. interacting, which is which yeah. is nice, as we know, when when we're writing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike a like a submitting to a journal where you've got to cover everyone's other perspective right. before you say what you. If you're writing your own thing, you don't yeah, have to do that. You don't that. have to do that. This yeah, is what I want to talk about. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm so, finding some of that freedom myself yes, as it, I write an introduction. Isn't that nice? Yes, that's yeah, nice. That's a nice thing. Um, it's a lot of baggage to carry around. Well, here's the whole history of yeah, this. Yeah, here's the history yeah. of the people who've looked at this, and this is why my yeah, thought is yeah, better yeah. than theirs. Everybody's still no. with me? Yeah. No, it's, this is my thought. Yeah, yeah, that it's just persuasive in and of itself. But either way, it's it does refocus from it's not our job to sort that out it's mm-hmm. not our job to to mm-hmm. get rid of uh the evil one one perspective would be that there are people here who are bringing a lot of torah into the church and it would be maybe something like a paul would look at toward a judaizer although it's a fair amount of you know exaltation of the law the christian version of the mm-hmm. torah in, in matthew but then there's a gentile congregation where it's like well no those those are cultural practices that we we don't uh, and and the way this person was reading it, it's like you know at the end of the age, God's going to gather the righteous. Mm-hmm. Is then say which which group is going to produce righteousness, and mm-hmm. the focus would be on, you know, you can have that argument, but if the focus isn't on the, producing the fruit of righteousness, mm-hmm. you're kind of missing it. Yeah. It's, a, it's re- well, and and that kind of gets to the nature of parables, how people read them differently. They tease you into reflection. It's not uh, the fact that Jesus has to explain it is kind of uh, goes beyond what a parable is, is initially kind of part of the genre is like it teases you into different kinds of readings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in Matthew, it is explained, whereas in, in Mark, it's not. Right. And it's... It's uh, Just left to hang there. Yeah, it's left to hang there. So, um, and then he, it's, it's a parable told in a world that's very apocalyptic. Um, and it might be that the focus of the, I tell myself I wouldn't get into this, but let me, let me, let me just nibble <laughs> please, around the edges. Please. Okay. I like hearing you talk about apocalypses. Because I read some people who really know the culture and they talk about the plants and they talk about how, yeah, you know, there's a, uh, there's this, well, this poisonous rye plant that looks just like wheat and oh, wow. you, you, people would weed it out early, uh, or else if you couldn't weed it out early, then you could, you had to wait till the harvest and it was lower. So you could harvest the, the wheat first and then the. And then the weeds, but actually it's the, it's the opposite order in the mm-hmm. parable. So, so, you know, sometimes people get into really detailed stuff about the right, agriculture or culture, like it, it doesn't fit with the parable, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which might be dealing with the, these things more loosely. And, and and I just want to raise the the prospect that this is a very apocalyptic image, and sometimes not everything about the apocalyptic imagery is explained. This is my takeaway from 41, the ending. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect... All, out of his kingdom, all the causes of sin and evil doers, and they will throw them into the furnace of a fire. Okay, furnace of the fire may, is probably still apocalyptic imagery. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, there will literally be a furnace of fire. <laughs> okay, so it's like uh, someone explaining some elaborate image from Revelation, but they don't explain everything. They're, mm-hmm. they're, you can tell where their focus is. Yeah, 
And so that I, I think that's not saying, yes, there, uh, now we're talking literally, there will literally be a furnace of fire. I'm thinking of saying that's not the focus of this parable or even the explanation. Okay. That's a given in this world, that this understanding of uh, uh, there's judgment coming. Uh, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, as we know one thing about being standing in a furnace, that goes Sure, on. sure, that <laughs> right? happens. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. Okay. I would just say I wouldn't get into uh, too much into the, the, the everything he's saying. He's not. The question is, is he explaining everything about that parable? I don't think he's explaining everything. I think he's, he's still the language of the day is apocalyptic, mm-hmm. and you would naturally defer to things. It would be very typical to defer to something like that, to talk about God's judgment. There will yeah. be a time of judgment. Um, I would say it's going to be consistent with God's character as re- revealed in the rest of the New Testament. Um, someone someone so, used the example. Oh, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just going to ask. Yeah. Are, are you are you saying that that he, picking up elements of the genre that everyone would be familiar with without being overly interpretive in in regard to those elements? I mean, yeah. I guess yeah. this is funny because for, I don't know why I thought of this, but as we're, we're – driving back the boys and I were driving around yesterday and, and Thomas was talking about next year and, and talking about prom themes. Cause they were talking about, you know, how bad last year's prom theme oh, was. And what was last year's I, prom I, theme? I think it was like oh. a night in Paris or something. And it was just really, <laughs> they thought it was terrible under the sea. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and Thomas said, you know, it'd be real. I think they should, it'd be really awesome if they had a 19, you know, 1950s. Cause we were listening to a jazz, a lot of jazz music at the time. And he said, um, you know, sort of classic jazz, so a lot of Sinatra and that kind of thing. And, and Edith James and Ella Fitzgerald and, and so we're listening to it. Thomas said, that'd be really nice if they had a 1950s theme. And I said, really? You want a segregated prom where they're trying to root out the communists? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, right. and he started laughing. And Daniel said, uh, said, yeah, and everybody's getting ready. He said, you know, we could do lotteries for drafts. That'd be fun where, you know, that they pull numbers out. And if yes. your lottery number comes up, the boy right. has to come home, but the date has to stay. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And so Thomas like, all right, all right. I don't want everything it's about limited, the 50s. A limited analogy. Yeah. Exactly. The 50s. <laughs> the, a limited analogy. The, exactly. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's the theme. <laughs> the cars will have metal dashboards, and there won't be seatbelts. And... <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, is that is? I mean, I know yes. that that's silly, yeah. but on some level, is that yeah. kind of what we're talking about we, here? Where... Yeah, we we tend to the things you were doing in 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 jest in yeah. parody. We tend to do that, not knowing that this is still a world that's, that communicates in apocalyptic imagery, mm-hmm. and even the explanation of a some somewhat. Uh, uh, somewhat apocalyptic parable about the angels coming in and gathering weeds might be explained in terms of the contemporary language, which is still apocalyptic. Okay. So an overly literal, uh, um, as as though it's an extended analogy, like like you and your your son were teasing your other son, uh, being thrown in the furnace. I don't think he's. He, I don't think there's things to be. T- he's not explaining everything. Like like the um, here's an example from Luke. Um, when, when the rich man in Lazarus, when it talks about um, at the afterlife, okay. it's talking about this chasm in between mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. about um, Lazarus being comforted and, and a similar image mm-hmm. to uh, the, uh, the man being in torment. And there's this big gulf between them. It's not talking about the geography, the architecture of, mm. of mm-hmm. heaven, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. In fact, it's very familiar language from Jewish folklore okay. about the chasm. And, it, and the chasm that separates the two is very much like the gate 
of uh, which uh, Lazarus on the outside from the uh, okay. rich man. So it's one of those things that are like oh, po- reversal. poetic justice. Yeah. Yeah, when when God judges, it'll be poetic, you know, mm. poetic reversal. So, I mean, God, in some ways, which I, what I hear you saying, it's been a while since I've done that. What I hear you saying uh-huh. is that that when Jesus is explaining this thoroughly apocalyptic parable, mm-hmm. he might use apocalyptic images to explain the apocalyptic parable that the people yes. would understand yeah. and hear uh-huh. um, that might itself have yes. symbol that for yeah. us would need to be unpacked that would have right. been clear to them. Right. And and when he doesn't unpack things, it might be, oh, that's not his focus. Right. Oh, that's still apocalyptic imagery. Like like if someone's explaining, uh, yeah. Gonna gonna dig a hole, like explaining some part of uh, Revelation, and they're okay. talking about the evil and the uh, the justice. Like these uh, these demon uh, these demon locusts are gonna come, and but God's gonna save them, and that means that they're talking about salvation. But the evil are gonna be you know stung by demon locusts. Okay. <laughs> it's like wait a minute, there's wait you're saying there's really demon locusts? Well, no, well, not necessarily. <laughs> you know, they're, they're gonna get theirs. I'm not know. saying they're not demon locusts. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. Okay. Well, I think I think that's helpful. I mean, to to say that Jesus is using apocalyptic to explain the apocalyptic, that you can use symbol to explain the symbol. I think that, and it might be a highlight that that's not the main focus here. Okay. It's okay. that uh, there's going to be a. Uh, is the focus of this living together is hard? Is that what the focus well, of this is? I think that's that's the <laughs> presupposition. And what do you do in light of the the? Okay. Uh, do you make it like let's create it so it's not so hard? Okay. Let's li- let's root out all the weeds. Well, that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Like that would be like a fifties prom if uh, <laughs> if they're trying to root out the communists and right. and you're rooting out all these other people too and right. blacklisting uh, you know, people in Hollywood and things like that. That right. doesn't that doesn't work well. <laughs> right. That God that's God God's going to sort that out and it's going to be surprising. Um, but it does put the that's not your work right now. Your work is to live righteously so that you're part of that harvest. And this okay. is very, it's there's there's not one way or I should say in the people I was reading this week there's not one way they're they're all over the place in their focus too. And okay. I would say this is one of the things you could there's a common is that this is not our job to root out evil. You know it's funny you said that because I've I've had a couple of sermon series that I've done of things that aren't our job. Yeah, um, okay. That, you know, because these, okay. these are things, jobs we want that That's a good God series. has always claimed for himself. Not one, my job. And one of them was, yeah, rooting out. Uh, I used, uh, I have the fish passage too that has the bad fish and the good fish. And I was talking about, mm-hmm. you know, determining exactly, right. you know, right. the edges of yeah. the faith and who's mm-hmm. in and who's out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're like a fisherman and we, we throw this, you know, no. that's the angels at the end, yeah. <laughs> you know. Right. That's not your job. That's not your job. Our job is to love. With, as God loved, and then God will take care of the rest. That's pretty good. And live live too. into your being a good fish <laughs> and wheat. <laughs> live into being good fish. Lest you find yourself being a weed or a bad fish. Don't be a bad fish. Don't be, Don't be a weed. That's that's the sermon title. There. That's, that's what's on the sign out in front of church that we can make people turn in. <laughs> that's probably a good place to wrap up too. So. Oh, well, thanks so much for listening this week. I hope you have gleaned something from yes. our, see what I did there? I used an agricultural, used a harvest metaphor there uh, for the week. Working uh, fishing metaphor. I'm working on it. Uh, make sure and uh, find us on Facebook um, if, if you are uh, surfing. The, how about a surfing metaphor? If you're surfing the internet, uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, leave a review on uh, Apple Podcast or on Stitcher and um, follow us on Twitter. Uh, interact with us there, too. We will probably... We'll probably interact with you. Yeah, we're happy we to will. do it. 
Um, and Got if, some mail that I'll answer next week. Yeah, and ask uh, ask some questions on email. We have our email address, which is... Readingchurch at gmail.com. Readingchurch at gmail.com. So uh, enjoy the rest of this week and the rest of your summer. Blessings. Have a great week.